We've all seen statues and pictures of Our Lady crushing the serpent's head. There's a very beautiful one that shows Mary's heel on the serpent's head and she's holding the Christ child in her arms and his foot is resting on top of hers. This depiction of Our Lady is in a certain sense and of her son a fulfillment of what we heard in the first reading. God puts enmity between the woman and the serpent, between her offspring and his. The article or the um, pronoun that is used there, the combination there, there's been a certain translation um, difference depending on whether it was in the Hebrew or in the Greek. Sometimes it says, he will crush your head. Sometimes it says, she. Some translations even say, it will crush your head, not knowing which one to go with. And that image, though, of Our Lady with her son's foot on top of hers, crushing the serpent, in a certain sense, embodies both of these. In reality, it is both of them that crush the serpent's head. And it is this feast day of the Immaculate Conception, our patroness, patroness of the United States, that is the beginning of the crushing of the serpent's head. How so? In both our opening prayer and in the prayer over the, um, the gifts this morning, we hear this idea being brought out that the graces of Christ, one on the cross, are in view of that event, pre-applied to Mary. In the uh, prayer over the offerings, we'll hear the word prevalent grace coming before. And so the, the reality of the Immaculate Conception rests on another reality, and that is that God, being outside of time, is not limited by time. He can apply something in the future to something now. An easy example is when we pray for somebody. Perhaps we don't know uh, the difficulty they're going through and maybe we hear about it after the event. And we pray for that person. God can take that fact of our praying for that person and apply those graces at a prior moment when they needed them most. God does that with the victory on the cross. Mary is saved. She's saved like us by means of the cross, but she is saved in a unique way in that grace prevents her, preserves her like salt or some other preservative from even allowing any trace of sin to enter into her heart and her soul. This is a great benefit for Mary personally because in preserving her, Her intellect and her will more easily are able to grasp the things of God. We struggle to understand God's will. We struggle even more to do that will. Mary would not have had those same kind of difficulties that we experience. We might be tempted to say, "Ah, not fair, I want that too. Yet Mary could have still responded in a negative way. Mary, like Adam, like Eve, still had free will. 
the Immaculate Conception did not erase her ability to say no. And yet she kept responding to that initial grace. She kept saying, yes, fiat, let it be done to me. And so this feast is also for us a great sign of what God wants to do in us. God wants to purify us. He wants to make us holy. We heard in the responsorial psalm, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous deeds. The Lord has done a marvelous thing in Mary, but he wants to do a marvelous thing in us as well. Even though we are marked and marred and stained by sin, what Mary is, God wants to make in us as well. In the book of Revelation, we see a shining city, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, gold, bright. It is a symbol of the church and it is a symbol of Mary, but it is also a symbol of what God wants to make us. May we respond to the graces that he gives us. May we see in Mary our great hope, as the saints have said, the sole boast of our human race. For she said, never said no to the Lord. May we enter into her great yes.